Alright, well it's been a minute, but uh, welcome back everyone to our very first off-season edition of the Bills Beat here. However you're joining us, whether it be on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, SoundCloud, or Stitcher. My name is Joe Biscaglia. With me as always, Matthew Fairburn of The Athletic. And we are in full-scale off-season mode, even though parts of the uh, NFL is still in gear Eight teams remaining in the NFL playoffs, but there really is no no real offseason when it comes to angling and trying to figure out what the plan is and negotiating with your free agents. Really, it's just a it's it's just a cluster of activity. No matter what month you have, and some months there's games, some months there aren't, but. We are here for you in this offseason, and we're going to charge forward with a bunch of different topics. And really, before anything, first off, happy offseason, Matthew. We're here. We made it. Absolutely. This is feels our, good. This is our time. It is. Be- it's, and it's something we've kind of, it feels like we've been talking about it for a while, just because of the nature of the 2018 season being such a wait until 2019 and so now it's here. Uh, you know, the Bills have a bunch of money to spend. They have a bunch of draft picks to use. And, you know, now now is their time to kind of turn this thing around and get it moving in the right direction and maybe field a team that people are excited about the actual season for in 2019. Right. And that's got to be the goal here. I mean, this 2018 was the only year where it was like, okay, you have this one. Go figure out which young guys can play. Go from there and then figure the rest of it out. But when it comes to uh, when it comes to 2019, even 2020, that's when the pressure starts to ratchet up a little bit. So, I think the uh the Bean McDermott era is going to feel it. But before we go full scale into off-season talk and and, and got an interesting question about uh, Brandon Bean um, that was tweeted at me last night that I wanted to get into. But before we do that, the biggest news around the NFL over the past couple of days has been the hiring of three coaches in particular. Green Bay hiring Matt LaFleur, which is kind of a meteoric rise. I mean, for him being a quarterback's coach with Kyle Shanahan in Atlanta a couple of years ago to now being the head coach of the Green Bay Packers and charged with uh, challenging Aaron Rodgers. That was all the rhetoric out there that about about him. He's going to challenge Aaron Rodgers. I'm going to I'm going to wait to see how that goes. Then, on top of that, you've got Bruce Arians getting hired by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, of course, and uh, the curveball, Cliff Kingsbury going to the Arizona Cardinals. And the thing that these three have in common are that all three have the offensive background. And LaFleur obviously comes from the Shanahan school, and that's kind of uh, well thought of around the league. And they feel like maybe that's the way their offense needs to go with him because of the uh, creative play calling he had in Tennessee as their offensive coordinator this past year. With Arians, we know, total air raid. Uh, He's going to try and revive Jameis Winston in the once proud prospect he once was. And then with Cliff Kingsbury... Former quarterback, former Texas Tech head coach, an extremely good-looking gentleman. I mean, that's that's what Arizona's trying to sell right he now. He basically looks like Ryan Gosling. He does. Like, uncanny. And, yeah, they are big on... 
they're so excited that they have Cliff Kingsbury just to sell. They, they changed change, their Twitter yeah, card. They changed handle. their Twitter handle to Cardinals with a K. They changed their avatar to a picture of Cliff Kingsbury. They're tweeting out videos of him. So the press release that they sent out with the uh, hire was actually very funny because <laughs> it mentioned that he was friends with Sean McVay. Ooh, it was uh, like, which is so weird to mention because on top of the fact that who cares that doesn't qualify him for anything resume builder but number two that guy is like you know your number one rival in your Mm -hmm. division i mean the rams are you know the team you're trying to beat i don't think that that's like that's just an odd that was an odd paragraph in the press release but obviously a very offensive minded cycle here for head coaching hires and you're looking at teams that went away from, well, in the Cardinals case, they went away from Steve Wilkes, who is a, you know, Sean McDermott and uh, Brandon Bean, um, you know, guy in Carolina, Mm -hmm. and now trying to go towards the offense. And the other two both had offensive-minded coaches, but, you know, are looking for a changeup. But it seems to be everybody's focus is on that side of the ball. Maybe Vic Fangio gets hired by the Broncos, but... Other than that, we you know it's hard to guarantee that a, a defensive-minded coach is e- even going to get hired at all in this hiring cycle. Yeah, Leslie Frazier isn't even getting a sniff uh, this this time around. And he did get at least an interview last year with, with the Colts, and obviously it didn't go his way. But, and, and if he did, if he were to have gotten a head job, I would have thought hey, maybe Steve Wilkes is a guy that the Bills bring in to be their defensive coordinator uh, of their team. But it doesn't seem like any of that is going to happen because Leslie Frazier is likely going to stay put, barring a uh, an unforeseen team really just falling flat in their, in their head coaching hire or their head coaching interviews and then thinking, okay, we need some sort of normalcy here. And that's where Leslie Frazier might come in. But, I mean, even on top of those three guys, like... Cleveland seems to be down to Freddie Kitchens, who was their interim offensive coordinator for, what, six weeks? And uh, Kevin Stefanski Stefanski from uh, Minnesota, who was elevated to interim offensive coordinator last year for them. Uh, It's just seeing the huge push by all of these teams to win the arms race or to take after the Sean McVay and Kyle Shanahan mold of these Bruce Arians notwithstanding, these young offensive minds that that uh, you think could take you to the next level, it's, I, I've got a, a somewhat uh, lukewarm take here, not everybody's Sean McVay, so. I'm considering applying for some of these openings because I've once been told I look like Sean McVay hey. by a player in the Ravens locker room, so I'm going to. I think just use that as a resume builder. You have that. I'm going to use the fact that I was once in the same restaurant as him in Indianapolis, so I'm going to go for a head coaching You're also job too. right around the same age, yeah. so there you go. He's about 11 months older than me. Yeah. Ten so and a half months. In about 11 months, you'll be you know right around where he is now, but even right now you are where he was when he took over the league, so right. I think you're... You've got a strong case uh, in the fact that you're young and that you were once in the same room as him. Uh, that's a good start. My favorite part about this whole head coaching hire cycle was Kevin Clark of The Ringer, who was just going hard about the uh, the Sean McVay stuff, <laughs> highlighting the paragraph that you alluded to, tweeting out, 
the picture that Bruce Arians must have sent where he once shook hands with Sean McVay after a game between the Cardinals and the Rams. Then, I believe, I, I think it was a fan, but someone said, all right, Hugh Jackson has his new resume, and uh, it's just a photoshopped picture of his face on someone else's body next to Sean McVay. I mean, that, it, that's just the running joke. But the reason why I bring all of this up, bringing it back to the Bills, because that's really why you all are here. When the Bills hired Sean McDermott, it was before this offensive splash hiring cycle. Is there a certain degree where the Bills should feel left out here? I mean, they've got a pretty solid offensive mind now as their offensive coordinator and Brian Dable, but when the trend around the league is offense, 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 and the Bills went with Sean McDermott being the defensive guy, I wonder if fans might feel, I don't know, inept, maybe, um, in terms of who's calling the shots, but there's also this to keep in mind, that teams and head coaches, the head coach is such a different job than coordinating or running an offense or anything like that, and Sean McVay being able to do what he's done has been remarkable because he's had that big type of rise where he called the offense and and uh, and and now he's good at managing the entire roster. But not everybody, not every guy has that skill set, and I wonder if teams are just trying to keep up with the Joneses here a little bit, and if maybe the Bills are in a solid spot because they have a head coach that, at the very least, understands that he can't micromanage and that it, he needs to be more of the. Uh, more of the guy that everybody goes to to set the example for everybody and, and as opposed to getting down into the trenches with the uh, defensive backs like he always used to in Carolina and in Philly. Yeah, I think, you know, probably the number one reason why so many teams go offense and why, if you're a Bills fan, you may feel a little bit, you know, left out, so to speak, is that obviously... First of all, the league is trending that way. Yeah. And, you know, anybody who's watched the league this year saw teams putting up crazy amounts of points, and that's the way things are going. But because of that, I think, you know, not wanting to have to have turnover there the way the Bills have. It, because the best case scenario, if you're Sean McDermott, is Brian Dable becomes that next hot name, right? Because mm-hmm. that means the offense did really well. Well, that means every couple of years, even if you're hitting on the guy every couple of years, you're trying to replace him because, you know, the the offense keeps turning over and these guys keep getting hired. So if you have the guy up top who's, you know, a Sean McVay or an Andy Reid, uh, Bruce Arians, then it's there's stability there. If the coordinator leaves, he can replace him with another guy that's been studying under him and there's continuity in that regard. But you don't really necessarily get that when you have a defensive coach. And I think for the most part, having a consistent, at least baseline passable level defense is easier to achieve than having a good offense. And I mean, just look at the bills over the last five years or so that outside of maybe Rex's final year, they haven't been 
necessarily bad on on defense at any of these points. The defense hasn't cost them dearly, um, you know, other than with Rex. And, you know, that was a defensive-minded coach, so mm-hmm. it didn't even work out then. But, you know, despite some turnover and change, they seem to, you know, be able to field decent defenses, whereas the offensive side of the, the ball is a bit of a, a puzzle for them and many teams in the league. And so when you see a guy like McVay, you know, do what he's doing, I think teams get a little bit antsy to be that next team that's pushing things forward. And fact of the matter is not everybody's Sean McVay. And, you know, Sean McVay might just be a unique case here. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, finding the next Sean McVay you know, you don't want to force it. I'm very, very curious to see how Cliff Kingsbury turns out because that's been a very polarizing hire. And a lot of people love Cliff Kingsbury. I like Cliff Kingsbury. I think he does a lot of creative things on offense. He was also a 500 coach at Texas Tech. But in the NFL, you don't have the problem of having to recruit talent to right. Texas Tech, which is not an easy task. So yeah, some people just aren't recruiters. Like... It's a lot easier when everybody wants the job that you're offering as opposed to you well, there's a salary cap. Yeah. You know, you're paying the guy money. It's yep. it's easier to bring a guy in or, you know, the one question he has to figure out is, you know, building a staff. I think you can't just have a good offensive play caller and hope that things go well. If he can't build a staff and sort of, you know, like you said, handle all the big picture things, Mm -hmm. then, you know, that team could get lost a little bit. But at the same time, you know, you can't dismiss him just because of his record at Texas Tech because the way in which you win in the NFL is entirely different than it is in college. And the Cardinals are taking a chance that they can, you know, get this guy who is a bit forward thinking in terms of offense and, find a way to fill in the gaps around them. They're basically going all in on their quarterback and trying to do everything they can to make sure life is as easy as possible for their quarterback, including having the right play caller. And it's hard to argue with putting such an emphasis on that side of the ball because it's clearly uh, the way everything's going. Yeah, and I think with the Bills, they're they're going to have to – keep up with this because in an ideal world as you alluded to Brian Dable helps uh, Josh Allen become something in the NFL and then he's probably gone as a head coach because that's the way things are going here and then you have to replenish the offensive coordinator job which I guess is a better problem to have than not but still it's it's a concern as opposed to having the head guy be the offensive mind that you go to here it's it's really a it's it's very much you you have to fall into one camp or the other because if you think that the ceo type overseer of a head coach is a lot better for you or to build an organization than say a an offensive mind who's going to be calling the plays and be so involved and then just leave the defense for the whoever the defensive coordinator is i i suppose it's you you have to fall in line one way or the other there with how the league is going but in regards to cliff kingsbury the reason why i like the hire 
is because the Cardinals aren't falling in line with just the stupid names that get interviews every single year. Like the guys that have already been head coaches, it's just that you're, it's probably a good chance that they're not going to work out because they haven't worked out before. I I don't know. I like the fact that they're kind of taking a swing here and I'm more of that mold anyway, like take a big swing and, and hope for the best as opposed to figuring out, uh, just, just going for that double or triple, trying to sneak your way into the playoffs without really thinking that you're going to get more than that. I mean, teams will fool themselves into thinking, uh, let's see, who's a good example here. Uh, Norv Turner would be a, uh, would be more than, than what he was or what he has been recently. I think all in all, you have the Cardinals going out on a limb and I admire that type of move. Is he going to work out? I don't know. I don't know what he is as a coach yet. I mean, he played for, or he coached for a Texas Tech team that um, really had trouble recruiting against the likes of Texas, Oklahoma, all those big guys down there in Texas. I mean, not everybody is going to go, hey, I'm going to go to Lubbock. Hey, Austin. Very few people are going to say that. Austin's right around the corner. Austin's awesome. Well, I'm going to go there. A and M, yeah, playing in the SEC with Jimbo and Jimbo's uh, a Houston, super. Well, Jimbo a, wasn't there when he was there's there. There's a ton of competition, and there's such a wide range of talent in college football. Whereas yeah. opposed to the NFL, when you have a salary cap and you have a a draft the way that they do, it's a lot easier to just be decent on defense than it is in college. And definitely, they were bad on defense down in Lubbock. Plus. Asking a guy to be, you know, well, of course he's going to have, you know, 500 seasons. I mean, Texas Tech doesn't have that many eight-win seasons in their entire program history. Mm -hmm. So judging him just on the record down there, I think, is a little bit, you know, missing the point a little bit. I did find it funny that, you know, what a weird rise for him to get fired by texas tech Mm -hmm. which i still can't quite figure out if he never gets fired there this might not even have happened oh i I mean i think it would it probably he probably still would have been you know on the radar probably patrick mahomes helps i mean certainly you know having patrick mahomes and having coached um you know some big time passers at the college level uh people want the secret sauce but it's weird to get fired, get hired as an offensive coordinator uh, by USC, and then a couple weeks later, you're getting head coaching interviews. It's pretty a pretty bizarre rise, and there are some some people that are put off by the fact that he you know quit USC a couple weeks after getting hired, but you can't really pass up an NFL Whatever. head coaching job. I mean, it's a clear promotion, um, not just because he's going to the NFL, but because USC just wanted him to be a coordinator. So. Definitely a, an interesting rise for him and, and probably one of the most fascinating situations to watch over the next couple of years because that's a, a quarterback the Bills could have had and one that a lot of people thought the Bills should have picked. And he was a disaster as a rookie. So they need to, to figure things out. And he's going to have to tweak his offense a little bit, I think, because they don't really have an offensive line Mm-mm. and you know their wide receiver talent is lacking a bit so this is going to be a test f- for him to you know 
earn his money on that side of the ball because if he can't get that figured out, then he's then he's really in trouble. Good news is he has the number one pick and close to the number one pick in every single round. So, I mean, that, that will definitely help things for him. All right, let's get into uh, a conversation that uh, one of our followers slash listeners had with a friend of his, and I, I thought it was interesting enough to bring up. Um, if for nothing else, that the fact that uh, his Twitter handle is outstanding. From at Fingers Flaccid. Yeah, that's real. Uh, he said, how do you feel about Brandon Bean so far? He said he just got into an argument with someone who insists that Doug Whaley was a great talent evaluator and then points to Eric Wood's contract, Marshall Newhouse, Corey Coleman, A.J. McCarron, and also said that Brandon Bean is awful while pointing to the lack of compensatory picks. I think where I want to start here, just to rule out one part of the equation, is Brandon Bean had no say on compensatory picks, which that should not be held against him because by the time he got here, Sean McDermott basically already formulated the roster. I mean, the draft was done. The free agency was all but done. All he could do was was trade. And, and that's why he was trading who he needed to because he felt it was necessary to get out from salary cap jail, which Doug Whaley put them into. So I, I'm not going to fault him for the compensatory pick stuff, but... And I think there's a couple of ways to look at this. Doug Whaley, um, his uh, fingers flaccid uh, cohort, um, said that Doug Whaley was a great talent evaluator. I think that's that's somewhat true. I think I think he could evaluate. I would challenge that. I, th- I think he could scout. I think he's a pretty well. good scout. Right. I think calling him a great evaluator of talent right. is really misrepresenting what he did while he was here because. Sammy Watkins hasn't exactly turned out to be a game changer. And he, he got paid like it though. He sold the farm for Sammy Watkins. Yep. And it's not to say Sammy Watkins isn't talented or anything else, but if he were a quote unquote great evaluator of talent and, you know, value and everything else in the draft, he wouldn't have sold the farm to move up and get Sammy Watkins with guys like Mike Evans and Odell Beckham you know, on the board. So also a lot of their draft picks were gone quickly. Right. Um, they're under he, Look at, you know, the drafts he's responsible for. Not only are those guys not in Buffalo anymore, which isn't really Whaley's fault because a lot of them were shipped out by Be- Sean McDermott yeah. and Brandon Bean, but just look at where they are now and what they're doing. I mean, they're not big time players. I mean, Cyrus Quanjo was a second round pick mm. of Doug Whaley. Mm-hmm. He's awful. Uh, I don't even know if he's in the league anymore. I don't think he is. I think he bounced around a little bit. He went to Detroit and Denver. I know. And, and I don't, I don't know, know if he's if, anywhere right now. I don't know if he's anywhere. Reggie Ragland is just a you know replacement level player yep. for the Chiefs. Sammy Watkins, obviously injuries have derailed uh, a lot of what he did. Uh, Ronald Darby was a pretty good player um, and still... I think is. Uh, I haven't watched a ton of them this year, but you know, occasional decent players, but you've got, you know, John Miller was a third round pick. I mean, third round picks should be pretty solid players if you're a great talent evaluator. So to me, I get the idea that he was a pretty good scout. And I think being a good scout and being a good GM are very different things. Mm -hmm. And maybe he was a good scout, 
you know, they did get some good players before he took over as general manager. And I think he was a part of that uh, in terms of, you know, the scouting process uh, and the infrastructure they had in place at the time. But when he was the general manager, I mean, they didn't exactly knock it out of the park in terms of talent acquisition. And I know it's not to say he didn't do any good things, but he got fired for a reason. Now, that's not to say Brandon Bean is definitely an amazing evaluator of talent. I just think you can look back on things more fondly um, than you remember them, you know, when you're actually in the moment. I mean, a lot of people wanted Whaley gone for good reason. He did have an odd amount of defenders, I felt like, but um, I, I think for the most part, that was a guy who did not understand value in the draft whatsoever. He did not, um, he proved that he didn't really understand or wasn't very good at evaluating the quarterback position because he missed a couple of times, whether it was his fault or not. But I think for the most part, he was average at evaluating talent, maybe decent, but great, I think, is yeah. is misrepresenting everything that he did. Yeah, that's a stretch. And then bringing it back to Brandon Bean, there's a couple of different ways. Like, I mean, sure, you can, you can point to the Eric Wood contract, but they also didn't know that Eric Wood would be forced to retire at the end of the year, and they thought they were going to have a mainstay at, a, at what they deem an important position on their offensive line. That's bad luck. Yeah, I mean, that Eric part Wood, I, I will say that they probably didn't need to do it when they did, but it was a good faith move, you know, when yeah. they're trying to build uh, a locker room and the word everybody loves, culture. But that was a guy that they wanted to be a part of what they were building. He did things the right way, and he was not planning on retiring anytime soon and mm-hmm. had good football left in him if his body – um, would have allowed it. So you can count that as a knock if you want, but I think it was, you know, something that very few people could have foreseen. But the other ones that the tweet points to, Marshall Newhouse, like why does Marshall Newhouse matter? It's just they signed him to be a reserve tackle and they traded him for a seventh rounder. I mean, what what what's the deal there? Coleman Corey Coleman was a bad move um, because they ended up having to eat money additional money and and they wasted a pick for him um a late pick yeah which basically they got back in the marshall newhouse deal um aj mccarron was you know i guess you kind of knew what you were in for there but they ended up getting a a fifth round pick for him you can make the argument maybe the mistake with aj mccarron was not keeping him because you know leaning on peterman as the only backup I think that's probably the biggest mistake Brandon Bean has made. And, you know, it's maybe not necessarily trading A.J. McCarron because getting a fifth-round pick for A.J. McCarron is not bad. But Mm -hmm. I think mis-evaluating what, you know, they had at quarterback behind Josh Allen or at that point in front of him, uh, I think is the biggest misstep he's made. He'd probably admit it that they should have had a better veteran uh, than they did. And now the quarterback room looks pretty stable. That's probably how it should have looked beforehand. Now there's also the argument to be made that that might not have been all on Brandon Bean because there's a certain head coach in town who has 
an infatuation with a certain quarterback. Um, <laughs> not named know, Josh Allen. Not named Josh Allen, who is now out of town. But, I mean, the Nathan Peterman fiasco, I don't think, can be pinned all on Brandon Bean. But at some point, you got to kind of step in and say, we need we need more than just Nathan Peterman. And I think they waited too long to do that. That's the only, that's the AJ McCarron mishap, but mm-hmm. still, again, you signed him for decent money, not crazy money, and got a fifth round pick in exchange. So not, you know, it's hard to evaluate a lot of this stuff because he didn't have a lot of money to spend right. last off season. And so, you look at their spending at wide receiver and offensive line; it was at the bottom of the league. But they didn't have a ton of money to throw around to begin with, and you know, weren't going to do it just to do it and so now is when i think it's easier to evaluate some of these little moves he's going to make because they won't be so little anymore they're they're going to spend some significant money and that's when you can really judge a guy yeah and i think the uh, probably his worst move that it didn't bring up was calvin benjamin right like calvin if that if this dude's buddy is sitting there and going hey why is uh brandon beans terrible his Number one reason should be Kelvin Benjamin. But outside of that, to your point, didn't have a lot of money to spend. He's only got technically one draft class, and it was their first year. And based on the way things kind of went last year, I mean, Josh Allen hit his stride in the second half. I went back, and I looked at my individual grades for Tremaine Edmonds yesterday. Like, his, his last eight games, he was ranked in the top five on the team. And his last four, he was at the top, like right near the top. He played well. He played and He played incredibly well down the stretch. And those are the t- the first two picks. Then you have Taron Johnson, who chipped in as well. I mean, these are all uh, these are all things you look to and say. Robert Foster yeah. played well, and that's a guy that was a, a late-round pick. I mean, a lot of these guys contributed. It was a pretty decent draft class. Even if Josh Allen and Tremaine Edmonds are the only two that hit and become Pro Bowl-level players, it's a successful draft. But you've got Taron Johnson being a rock-solid starter. Wyatt Teller got into the starting lineup and, you know, played a role. He wasn't great. He was up and down. But if he becomes a starter, I mean, if you get three starters in a draft class, I think you've done pretty well. Yeah. Um, And... And Harrison like, Phillips is still hanging out there, right? Too. He and I think Harrison Phillips was, um, you know, he the position that he plays, he's not going to get a ton of attention or um, recognition. But I also think there's, you know, room to grow. He may have hit a little bit of a wall. Yeah, I think so too. Uh, but he could still become a guy that they lean on in the middle of that defensive line. So I think the first draft class for now looks pretty good. Uh, yeah. You know, time will tell, but. You know, they acquired some decent players in that draft. They didn't do great in free agency. Trent Murphy was a bit of a disappointment because of injuries. And Starlo Tulele was decent. Yeah. I mean, he is, I think they probably overpaid a little bit for him, but they had, you know, the way the contract is set up, the fact that he's going to eat up a lot of money going forward isn't a big deal because they now have the cap room. Right. But. And I think I made this point last year, too. Like, the reason why they paid for that position at defensive tackle is because it was a crying need for them last year, but also because they knew that they had multiple years to go 
before they would have to pay the real money position on the defensive at the defensive tackle spot, which is three technique, because odds are they are going to draft one in the next two years to be that guy moving forward. Now, it might even be in the first round this year because the, the draft is rife with them. And ninth overall seems like a spot where one of those guys could sneak down to, say, if a team takes a quarterback or they take a wide receiver or they take an offensive tackle, what have you, a cornerback, defensive end. I mean, that that seems like a, a pretty decent spot to get one of those guys, which means that's four years of a rookie contract and Star Latulale will be well and gone before that contract is ever done. And so that way that money you allocate for that position is there for you. But, I mean, I understand some of the frustration from fans because... I mean, to be the highest paid player on the team, you want to see tangible results. And Latulale actually did a, a pretty decent job, I thought, this year. But he wasn't an overwhelming entity by any means. And I think that's what kind of frustrates fans a bit. But, you know, bringing it back to Brandon Bean, I think, quite honestly, the jury's still out. I think he's done a, a really good job in resetting the entire structure. I mean, he delivered on his promises of getting a quarterback, getting a middle linebacker, two guys with tons and tons of promise heading into their second seasons. Uh, and it seems like he's got, at this point, three locked-in starters from his draft class. Could be four, could be five if uh, if Harrison Phillips or Wyatt Teller and or Wyatt Teller hit. like you Or Robert out. Foster. Or Robert Foster. Levi Wallace, let's not forget him. Yeah. I mean, he's... Look... Levi Wallace is the rookie no one is talking about because he, he might have been number two behind Tremaine Edmonds on the defensive side. I mean, he was he was darn good. Yeah, it's hard Darren to Johnson know because too, he was it was a small sample size, but in that like small games, sample right? size, it was very solid play. Mm-hmm. And from a guy that you know is going to get attention because Trey White's on the other side and teams aren't throwing to him super often, so... To get the attention that that he got and play the way that he did, it's the reason why I think you know picking a corner in the top ten isn't really something they should do because a he showed a ton of promise and yep. b this regime has shown that they can develop cornerbacks. Go back to Carolina and they did the same thing. So yep. I think you know when you have Sean McDermott, uh, you don't need to spend a top ten pick necessarily on a cornerback. It helps to have. Tredavious White uh, with all the talent that he has as a first round pick but I don't think you need to be spending a second first round pick on that position I always wonder if Bean would have actually taken Tredavious White and if Bean believes in taking cornerbacks that early especially with how Sean McDermott can develop them and and if he would have addressed a, a different position because in Carolina I mean McDermott never had that first round corner I mean it was always Josh Norman who was a three and then they brought in I think the one year they brought in a cornerback in the second, third, and fifth round. Uh, I think one of those guys hit. But that notwithstanding, I mean, I always wonder what Bean would have done in, in 2017. I really do. Because they could have changed the course of what the Bills are to this day. But he wasn't here, so I guess we can't really go too far down that rabbit hole without without actually knowing maybe one day once he's gone he would tell us what he would he would do but you know maybe i i don't know that uh, it's necessarily a, a healthy thing for bills to think of bills fans to think about all right so the bills 
they're in off-season mode. And for us, that means we are, as we alluded to in our last podcast, shifting to one pod a week. We'll try and do it on Wednesdays. Might be a Thursday here, just depending on on schedules and all the like. But uh, we're going to be hitting it hard and and going into uh going into different positions that they could look to and and as we get closer to free agency some free agents they free agents they can look at um did any potential free agents kind of catch your eye uh, over wildcard weekend because the one guy that um that I pointed out uh was Glowinski from the Colts who's their right guard and and you know, it seemed like he was really hitting his stride there when they just walloped the the Houston Texans. But other than that, I you know I know a lot of people look to Tyrell Williams from the Chargers as as a potential guy. But yeah, this is a this is a good scouting exercise for fans to try and see, hey, who might be out there and what might they be able to bring to the Bills. Yeah, it doesn't look like a super strong free agent class in a lot of ways. Uh you you're gonna have to be smart about how you spend your money. But I think the intriguing idea to me is the DeMarcus Lawrence, Jadevian Clowney discussion of should they, you know, if you're going to spend that money, that's one of the places you want to spend it is on a pass rusher. And who knows if either of those guys even hit the market, uh, that there's a chance they'll get tagged. But the idea of adding an impact pass rusher should be an attractive one, whether it's with that top 10 pick or in free agency, or by some other avenue, at some point, that's a, a pretty big need for them because the pass rush faded big time. And so those are two guys that that I was keeping an eye on. I think wide receiver is weird because there's just not... You're going to have to really find some value, I think, because throwing money at some of these guys, I'm not sure is going to be a lot. Like Tyrell Williams, I like, and he fits, and he makes sense. But how much money is he going to cost? Right, and and the thing with Tyrell Williams is fans, all to to a high degree, they prefer him to Devin Funchess. But is there really a tangible difference between the two? They're both kind of a similar type of prospect. Just one didn't play for Carolina. I think that's that's the lean here. Tyrell's faster, yeah. I think. And yeah, that's, he is. That's you know the speed element is what. The Bills' offense still needs, uh, and I think Devin Funchess seems like more of a malcontent. Um, he seemed to be causing some problems in Carolina toward the end of the season. He was inactive, um, and you know, given the fresh sting of Kelvin Benjamin, I think people probably you know are weary of the big-bodied receiver who may or may not have an attitude issue. So Tyrell Williams, I like. He makes some sense. The question is. Because of the market, is he going to become a guy that gets paid a ton of money? Same goes for a guy like Adam Humphreys, who had a good year in Tampa mm-hmm. Bay and makes sense as a slot player, which they desperately need. But does he end up as a $10 million a year player? And are you willing to pay that to a guy with a limited sample size of production? So that's why free agency is tricky, and it's why... Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott were both already pumping the brakes on all the free agency talk. I think they understand that they're not going to be able to spend all this money at once. They don't want to spend all the money at once, but they know that that's the expectation. That's why they were using the word judicious over and over and over again during that end of season press conference, because they 
I don't think they're planning necessarily on filling all these holes at once in free agency. I think, like you talked about, uh, the guard in Indianapolis, Matt Paradise is the hot name um, at center, um, the, the Broncos center who ended the season on IR. Mitch Morse uh, from the Chiefs is another guy who's scheduled to be a free agent. Those are the guys. I think if you're going to spend money somewhere, you spend it there and maybe on a pass rusher and take a shot on one of these receivers. But I don't think you're finding your number one receiver in free agency this no, year. No, no. And then that goes back to other discussions that that we had. Like, do you need a number one? That's It's all it's all so, these things that uh, Brandon Bean has to answer. And you brought up the pass rushers. I don't think there's any shot the Texans let Clowney hit free agency. They're, I think, if they're between the two, I think the one that probably has the better chance is Lawrence. Um, and and then that goes to the Joe Texans Blake. will have the the odd discussion though because they've also got Tyron Matthew who was on a one year deal. True. And so if they can't come to an agreement with one, then they need to choose who gets the tag. Clowney. And that could be uh, an interesting discussion. You Clowney pick- had a they there was a little bit of a disagreement over the position and so he got a bunch more money um on his fifth year option and the same would hold true for the tag if they choose to go that direction but he is quite the player um Mm -hmm. so if that's what i mean if one of those guys hits free agency i think you have to look because a you have a crazy amount of money to spend and that's one of the places where you would want to spend it anyways, uh, eventually. Mm-hmm. And finding those guys in the draft is possible, but not super easy. Um, you know, the hit rate isn't great. So if you've got a ready-made edge rusher who can impact your pass rush, which is a huge need, it's one of the places you should think about spending money because there's not a ton of talent out there on the free agent market this season where you say there are obvious places to spend this money as opposed to, if a big time player like Demarcus Lawrence or Clowney's out there, I mean, why wouldn't you look at it? Mm-hmm. Your second best pass rusher cannot be Shaq Lawson. That's... No, and Jerry Hughes isn't getting any younger either. Yeah, and, and so... you know what, Lawson had a solid enough year. And if you're worried, you know, to your point, if you're worried about contracts and too much money being allocated to that spot. I mean, Hughes is coming off the books after 2019. Same thing with Shaq Lawson, as long as they don't pick up the fifth-year option, which I don't think that they're going to, if I had to guess right now. And then you can always walk away from Trent Murphy as well. So there are there are ways to do it, and odds are the Bills are still going to have money to spare heading into the 2020 offseason as well. If they're going They'll to have be... more money. Potentially. Right. If so. they're if they're going to be as judicious as possible, they're going to have some money to roll over. So I, I wouldn't worry too much about it. But that's with thinking that one of those two guys are actually going to be a be on the free agent market and b want to come to a six and ten roster that's rebuilding. Those are two very uh, big parts of the equation here. Money talks, though. Yeah, it does. In but free, especially in free agency, does judicious money talk? And that's the question. <laughs> Will they be willing to? And if they are willing to, on what type of player, on what position? And that's why I think you do it on the offensive line. Say just throw a bunch of money at Matt Paradise, uh, maybe a tackle. Darrell Williams will likely be hitting uh, free agency. It sounds like they are very far apart on money. Mm -hmm. Um, The Panthers' offensive tackle, who was 
had a great season in 2017 before he got hurt this year. So mm-hmm. um, you've got Bobby Massey out there. Yeah, from, from I think Chicago. There's actually a decent amount of veteran talent on the offensive line. Yep. Roger Saffold, um, the Rams guard, who's been in with the Rams forever. But um, if he hits the market, I mean, that's where I would spend the money because I think it's harder to develop those guys. You still need to draft some O-linemen too, but yeah. you're going to have a lot of holes up front. It should be the main priority. You, your spending down there has been next to nothing at the moment, so you might as well throw some money at it, throw some draft capital at it, and try to fix that problem because I think it could solve a lot of the other issues. Apparently, LaShawn McCoy thinks so too because he's been quite uh, persistent about that on various social medias. Team captain, though. Yeah, big leader, big big guy that you want in your locker room there, calling out his offensive line at the end of the season. Uh, while Josh Allen was out there, what didn't he buy them all something or other? I don't know. Uh, some sort of electronic, as they tend to do. But Hashtag accountability. LaShawn McCoy called out the offensive line twice. He did it on Instagram as well, on Qu- NFL's post about Quentin Nelson making all pro and was like i need one of these or something like that and 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 then to the point where he makes his teammate who underperformed this past year Deion dawkins feel well i would assume that it was mccoy induced because it happened on the same day and it happened after mccoy sent out those tweets and and where he said i need to refocus i need to be better i know this i'm not going to take it for granted blah 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 and to which mccoy responded to him like appreciate you yeah thank yeah thank you <laughs> like <laughs> why is LaShawn feeling like he has no culpability whatsoever in the situation he also um it's kind of ridiculous minor point he i believe he capitalized the wrong word on his uh, alabama tweet um i gotta find the tweet because it's been deleted right oh yeah but he for, well, it was also kind of funny because Alabama got rolled over in the game. But yeah, he said, God, I would love to get just one of these Bama linemen. <laughs> just was in all capitals. Wouldn't it be, wouldn't you want one in capitals there? Just one of these Or linemen. you could just let your sentence speak for you right. and not use capitals. Get just one of these Bama linemen. I don't know. I, yeah. I thought emphasis. that was the, I thought it was one of the stupidest tweets I've seen in a long time because <laughs> I was like, why are you saying that like that i get it there's no good that can come right sure you you do need offensive line help nobody's denying that but it's not as if nobody is saying it everybody is saying it like even the gm and the coach have said it as a captain why are you it's almost like he wants out it, it like he's trying to stir the pot and make people angry be, and sure three of those guys could be leaving the team and may not even be back but i don't know if i'm an offensive lineman i'm not exactly feeling more motivated to block for that guy unless you're trying to motivate by fear which seems to work with Deion dawkins who's you know from the new jersey area and you know probably you know looks up to Lashawn mccoy you mm-hmm. can maybe strike some fear into him but I don't know. It's it's certainly not the way to treat your teammates, especially the guys who are responsible in a big way for your livelihood. I suppose there really isn't any recourse for LaShawn McCoy because 
the only two guys that are probably going to be back as starters next year are young guys in Dawkins and Wyatt Teller. Maybe Wyatt Teller. So I suppose it was a risk-free shot there, but man, what are you, what, still, what are you thinking? Yeah, I mean, I, still just a... Just off-putting. A, yeah, off-putting. If, if you're a... Heck, if you're a free agent offensive lineman, you know, do you ever, do you look at that? I mean, little things that you have to think about if you're a captain of a team and if you're, um, you know, one of the centerpieces like LaShawn McCoy. It's it's why I think everybody should follow the one rule of Twitter, which is don't tweet. <laughs> or if you have to think before you hit send, don't send. Just never tweet. Never you, ever. It, you you can't lose you're if out you never tweet. Right, but you also perhaps can't. Win. I guess it well, Sean McCoy can't win yeah. tweeting anything. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. what good? What does he gain by tweeting? Nothing. He should. Right. As, if you're a player, you should never tweet. And obviously, we kind of have to tweet. But if I didn't, I probably wouldn't tweet either. I probably would. I think it's. I enjoy it. If I were a player, I would not. I would not have Twitter. And. There are too many examples of guys that get themselves into trouble. Not saying LaShawn McCoy should be in trouble over this. Yeah, right. It's just we're now talking about him. Other people are talking about him. There may be a free agent out there who says, I'm not going to go block for that guy. Or maybe there's guys in the room. Maybe you know one of these guys was going to come back on a cheap deal for depth, right? Mm-hmm. Ryan Roy or John Miller or Jordan Mills. Maybe they're like, man, screw that. Mm. You know, I'm going somewhere else. Not that you'd miss much, but I don't know. I just think it's... Uh, for a team that desperately now needs another leader to step up with Kyle Williams leaving, they've got one of their captains doing this. It's just more of an importance to re-sign Lorenzo Alexander. That's all. Um, I don't think LaShawn McCoy's tweet in early January will prevent them from signing free agents. No, probably not. But but imagine if it... Having an impact in it, any way, I, it, shape, or form. It has a better chance of having an impact than if he hadn't tweeted. There's also the chance that it was just in an echo chamber of Bills fans yeah, as well. Exactly. I think to where the more popular areas or anywhere else in the United States didn't even know it existed. So there there's that. I did as see well. some national people grab it with mm. eyeball emojis and everything else. I mean I, yeah, just I think it to me in 2019 and beyond Josh Allen is your leader on offense yeah. and Borderline should be the captain over LaShawn McCoy. But not borderline. I think absolutely. You know, it would be somewhat interesting if LaShawn McCoy was not a captain next year. If he was not voted that way. Um, if mm-hmm. he's even still on the team. Mm-hmm. But um to me, I don't think he's necessarily uh earned it. But uh I think you want Josh Allen to step into that role and I think Judging by how people in the locker room view him, he will get voted that way. Oh, yeah. No doubt. All right. So this has been a good base for an off-season pod. We're uh, we're going to get back at it next week. Um, the one thing I will compile will be all 32 and yeah, the plans do that. Of, the, uh, of the Come On Darlene bracket. And we will reveal it live. Well, not really live, but we will reveal the bracket on the podcast next week. We'll do the drawing and everything on the pod. It'll be uh, very dramatic, very fun, full of laughter, because there, 
I'm not even going to tell you the 32, so that way we can just go, oh yeah, that one. So that'll be good. I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to it, which also means I have to, I have one week in order to go back and listen to every single one of our podcasts to, to find the, the 32 of them. Okay, so uh, the next time we'll talk to you will be next week, probably Wednesday. If not, then definitely Thursday, as uh, it'll be the week before the Senior Bowl gets going. So that's probably what, where we're going to uh, focus our efforts into the most. And then, uh, then yeah, the first big off-season event down in Mobile, Alabama. Get a hold of it. Love the Senior Bowl. One of my favorites. Okay, so for uh, Matthew Fairburn of The Athletic, my name is Joe Biscalia. Thank you all for listening to this edition of The Bills Beat. We will talk to you next week. See you then.